Lace up your boots and grab your mouth guards. It's time for the Rugby Wrap, the podcast about all things Western Force and the game we love. Well, hello everyone and welcome to the Rugby Wrap. Nice to have your company wherever you may be listening. My name's Mick Collison with a fair bit of rugby happening at the moment. To help dissect it is none other than Wallaby number 735. Mitch Hardy, Mitch, good to see you. Nice to be back again, Mickey, and uh, not much having over the West other than a few preliminary games going on, but it was all happening up and down the East Coast and down South. Lots on. Yeah, certainly is. And a man who is only 80 minutes away from a grand final appearance, that's Nedland Stewart, Heath Tessman, and Tess Howe the Nerves. Oh, I don't know. I can't remember the last time I played 80 minutes of rugby. <laughs> I might only have, yeah, if I make the grand final, I might have 80 minutes in me for the well, rest the, of the year. game. Well, the game, in terms of rugby, the rugby long, the rugby timeline, 80 minutes away. Yeah, beautiful. Just but one Saturday, isn't it? Hey, how exciting. Yep. Down at the pig pen this weekend. I'm sure we'll get to that a little bit later, Mick. Yes, we but, will. Um, yeah, very excited. A lot of rugby this past week, a lot of great results as well. Yeah, perfect. Well, before we do start, just a bit of a shout out to Neil Fox. We worked together about 25 years ago, and I spoke to him during the week, and he said that he enjoys the show. So good on you, Foxy. Well, as mentioned, plenty of rugby. We'll start with the inconsistent Wallabies, who turned in a sterling performance to beat the Springboks 25-17 in Adelaide on the weekend. Mitch, you were there. What did you think? Oh, it was a great afternoon of rugby, Mick. Uh, the um, Adelaide Oval was a fantastic venue. There was a good atmosphere. It was probably 50-50 supporters, mm. a few in gold and a few in green, which was great. Um, and the Uppies really get into it too, so they create a good atmosphere um, with all the Saffa supporters there. And it was, it was just a beautiful afternoon to be watching the Wallabies go around, and they, I thought they played really well. They took their opportunities when they're on offer. They hang in there for that period just before half time for 15 or 20 minutes and then came out in the second half and went whack, whack. So mm. it, was, it was a really good effort. Um, I thought there was some... There's some unsung heroes in the game, probably, you know, guys like Len Ikatao in the middle, um, Hunter Basama. Basami didn't do a lot, but I think he did his job really well. And I think that, you know, obviously all the talk about Marika Corabetti being the big hero of the match, but certainly Tom Wright didn't do himself any harm by being out there and doing a good job. And um, Lalesio as well, the young head on the old shoulders, was also a standout for mine. And a guy like Jed Holloway, another unsung hero, um, Rob Valentini was really good. Our line-out was good. Matt Phillip, and I'm not a big fan, he was good. You know, probably played his best test he's ever played. So there you go. And they, they've traditionally had slow starts, but on the weekend scored in the first couple of minutes. Yeah, good good, good structure and good execution. And Fraser McWright, you know, he got a double in the test there. And, um, you know, that's that's a way to stamp your authority on a game, get a meat pie in the first two minutes, isn't it? Mm, yeah, it was good. And then Tess, um, line-outs generally okay, but we, we did lose four. Oh, you, I was going to say, you're being nice to Mitch here. Mitch, you yeah. had too much red down there, Adelaide. Our line-out was atrocious. <laughs> the line-out was atrocious. So... No, mate, who cares? We went to the front. <laughs> went in doubt, throw to one. Isn't that what they, you do? That's, that's what we're <laughs> forced see, into. Let's see if he Tessman goes there this weekend. So, Tess, the, the line-outs? Line-outs? Yeah, I think it, it looked like there was a little bit – a few of them were – there was some perceived pressure. Uh, a couple of them, you know, were one or two throws, but it just, it really looked like there were, there was just a little bit of lack of connection, like um, people expecting one, one throw or one lift and, and preparing for another. And then it's tough when you have a couple of those early on and you've got, I mean, it's, it's hard for, um, you know, Matty Phil, like we, Mitchie just mentioned him then, he did a great job, but no matter who you are, it's tough to call against the line out like the spring box. Like 
they've just got tall Tim, you know, Peter Steph Toit's their seven when, you know, he, he's he's lining up against someone like Fraser McWright. I think the shortest, shortest bloke in their pack is Dwayne Vermeule and he's 190 odd centimetres tall. So, mm. you know, they paint a really strong picture defensively. And and I think we maybe um, had, a little, had a few struggles with calls early on in the game and then that reverberated through with just a little bit of uncertainty later on. But, you know, like we touched on Jed Holloway, he's been in the media this week talking about they're going to work hard on it, it's a focus, and they've reviewed it and everything like that because I'm sure they weren't working on it hard before this week. But now yeah, this week exactly. they're working on it hard <laughs> and, yeah, and every, everything will be fixed. And then, and then what about the scrums? The, like the talk was the box were going to come out and smash us in the scrums? Yeah, and it was – I think that um, the displayed scrum time was really reminiscent of how the Wallabies played the whole match. Like, they just kind of scrapped and fought and then then took advantage of some of the situations they were in and, and made the best of some big moments as well. And none bigger than, you know, when we were right right on our five-metre line and and the box were going for scrum after scrum after scrum and Franz Malherbe is oh, – he's not the most athletic, but he probably is the best tight head, the best scrummaging tight head in the world – and, um, and, you know, James Slipper was under the punch there, but he just delivered a really big scrum and earned that penalty, which got us away from our line. So, you know, it, it stood up when it needed to and was industrious when it was on our ball as well. Like, we didn't get monstered much like that. That first test against the All Blacks over in South Africa where it was a penalty just about every time the Springboks scrummaged. Um, so, you know, going by that bar, it's a, it's a good tick. Was a good result. Now, Mitch Heath Tesman, I think he just mentioned then that in that corner there was scrum after scrum after scrum after scrum. I think Tess was the only person that enjoyed that particular phase of that game. That seemed to go on for 20 minutes. 15. I reckon it was 15, Mick. I reckon because what Faf, Faf went on in the 20, off on the 25th minute. That was off a scrum. And so it was that whole period of time where the South Africans were in the Wallaby half within their 40-metre zone, scrumming and lining out, line outs all through that period. It's like a good There's thriller, just... though. It's just building the tension. Oh, can we get off? Oh, no, now we've got the ball in our line on. This has happened here. Now, oh, the refs come into it. Oh, what? It was, was grey watching. Stephen King couldn't write something better than that. Uh, you are the eternal optimist. That was, that was just, I just thought that that phase of the game, if you had people at that ground who'd come along for novelty value to have a look, I think they'd be thinking mm, that was kind of fun, but it was, oh, they've got to do something about it. I was meant to put the clock on because we talked about the 60-second rule last week. I was meant to put the clock on, watch the replay, from the time that the referee blew his whistle to the time that the scrum was actually set because they were just, they just I don't know whether they were using it as a slowing down tactic or what they were doing, but they just were so slow to actually get there before they even thought about getting set. So surely that phase of the game could be sped up. Yeah, we, we're a man to... Weren't we man down then as well already? Do we have a yellow card? So I'm sure that probably came into play. But, um, uh, well, I can't remember. I can't remember. But anyway, but it was just I, that was yeah. a little bit frustrating that one. Um, so the two the two big things to come out of the game was the Corabetti tackle and the Nick White slap. So I'll th- <laughs> I'll throw to let's talk about the the Corabetti tackle first. It was spectacular. Should it have been looked at? And is it a good thing? It was terrific. Oh, it was an outstanding tackle, Mickey. If if anything, there was no case to answer because the South African winner jumped. So as soon as the guy's jumped like that in the air, he's put himself in a vulnerable position. Corabetti's flying along at 100 miles an hour and a bloke all of a sudden jumps in the air. 
you're you're looking at a certain part of the field where you're you're expecting to make the tackle and the guy all of a sudden jumps in the air you're never going to get it 100 right and as far as i'm concerned his right arm had a partial wrap <laughs> yeah it was making an effort as partial well partial wrap and he was i think it, mate are we, giving, are we giving points for effort now are we Tess? well no he was making an effort and who knows if <laughs> If, if the Springbok winger hadn't jumped, he, he may have wrapped them. We'll never know. But I think back to when um, Tom Banks, he got carded earlier in the year here in Perth when he fractured his cheekbone. He's yeah, come yeah. in high, and that was part of the, yeah. the big the mitigating factor. Corbetti's come in. His head's down low, so he's not in a position where he's causing any um, – there's going to be any head-on-head head contact damage. and a collision yeah. with the head. So he's, he's put his head down like into a low position to make the tackle tried to jump over the top of him it's just incidental contact and that that yeah that wing was raised ever so slightly as well so yeah, only okay. needs only needs to wrap one arm mickey oh, did you reckon you got do you wrap an arm though oh, i reckon you, you did i reckon you, you get it down to the microseconds i reckon there's a wrap there <laughs> there was oh, intent right. to wrap it was yeah okay he made, intent. he made an effort to wrap it was like it does it was hit like hard and he's like a missile he was yeah. like yes it was a missile like tackle it was an nfl block it certainly wasn't tackle. a shoulder charge I, I think yeah you, you gotta remember like a shoulder charge is a shoulder charge it certainly wasn't attacking the head and no, um certainly wasn't yeah it was just added to the drama of the day yeah his technique isn't great if the kids kids at home listening tonight don't put your yeah, head in front yeah make a point. if you want to keep your shoulders yeah and then the nick, white, the nick white slap <laughs> so you can have this Mitch. <laughs> Well, I think I think everything that's been said has been said. I think it was, you know, I think people felt embarrassed hmm. because you could obviously see what Faf was trying to do, and that's disrupt the ball in Nick White's hands, and he completely missed and hit his moustache. So, hmm. and I, I think worst at worst a penalty. Yep. Just because it was silly, but nowhere near yellow card. How yellow they get card. a yellow card out of that? Is beyond me. Like, is, that, that is, is that the is that the game's fault though? Well, I don't know. Well, it must be. It has to be. Let's just blame it on the game because it's contact yeah. there. The ref, yeah. the ref. That's it. You've made contact with the head. That's it. This is what the yeah. law states. I need to do. Yeah. And so we have, you know, we've a, if you slap a bloke it. on the side, you slap a bloke on the bald spot in the top of his head. You're going to get a yellow card for that. Yeah, <laughs> I might Point find out this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Georgina Robinson, she made a good point uh, in in the Herald this week because because when he got when he got knocked and you know an hour later that he decided to went to the ground and, and grabbed his throat and he was lying on the ground like he had a serious injury and then he's got up and played on. So she was saying, which was a good point, that the referee probably should have sent him for a HIA because if he was on the ground being attended to with a head injury, surely he should be gone to be examined, not be allowed to just jump up and play on. No, if anything, he should have been, the penalty could have been reversed for bringing the game into disrespect on the mm. on the field. Because it was, it was embarrassing. And he apparently got sledged at the airport by um, some oh, South African yeah. fans. I mean, yeah, saying, I, I, hope, I thought you were in the ICU. Good to see that you're out of the ICU. So <laughs> it was uh, very <laughs> bizarre. And another player who's who's really impressed me, and I don't normally watch him play, is is James James Slipper. I think since he's had the captaincy, I think he's been um he seems to be great. He's worked around the parks, been great. We saw yep. him had that great inside ball uh, on the weekend. Do you think he will be the man to lead Australia to the Rugby World Cup? Oh, well, he very well could be. I mean, he slipped 
Slips is the uh, he's the last of the old school props as well. Like he, you know, he doesn't doesn't squat much more than sixty and doesn't bench much more than that either. <laughs> but he's just like he just knows how to use his body to work work into good position and work over much bigger opposition as well because he's always giving up weight. But he he has developed especially. Um, he was already like a little bit of a leader because you know he held the captaincy at the Reds as well. But that's really grown a lot more. I think since he's gone to the Brumbies, he spent a bit of time out and changed. You know, changed teams, and he's gone to a really senior role there. And I think he's really bloomed into that, into that, um, yeah, that strong leadership person, the guy, the guy that's really honest and will tell you honest, but will really front up for you as much as you do for them as well. And um, look, th- with everything that's happening, I, you know, I have no doubt if if Hooper's headspace is okay, he's going to be going there next year. But we never know what's going to happen with that uh, I think and that's you know no matter how well McWright plays I think Hooper will be part of that World Cup squad next year if he, if he feels his head's in the right spot yep. um, but you know as far as those guys that are going to be in that team like Slippy he right now with Angus Bell especially out with an injury he's been that this you know the, the first lock just about for a play is that lucid that they've been penciling in as the first pick each week. And um, if he keeps up the form he has and, and displaying the leadership he has, I don't see why he wouldn't still be there in 12 months' time. Yeah, I think he's been great. And then Pollard, he missed some very gettable goals. He was kicking them from everywhere in the warm-up, but he missed a couple of really early ones. So no scoreboard pressure. Nothing really went right for the box. Lots of just mistakes that I don't think will happen this week. Was it a false dawn for the Wallabies or have the Wallabies turned a corner to a degree? No, I think I think they've just got to find that consistencies now. The next stage of their, I said, the development as a team as they work towards the World Cup. So, yeah, it could be a completely different outfit that runs out this weekend, and then it could be another different outfit that plays the All Blacks in a couple of weeks' time. So, I think what Dave Rennie's got to look for is building that squad depth, and I think he's got a good bench. He's now got to get the consistency the week in, week out, when they've got these double-header test matches, week in, week out, getting that consistency. So if they can back it up with another win here against South Africa without losing too many of the troops, which is the other big concern of whether or not there's any more injury impacts this week, because Valesio looked like he potentially damaged that hammy again. Hammy, yeah. Yeah, there was a couple other little ones that you think, oh, maybe there's a niggle there or a niggle here. Um, So it just depends on how consistent he can get his team and whether they can be consistent on the paddock for mine. Yeah. And then this week, so Kevin, this week, the box, they've announced their team today. They've made nine changes to their starting 15, three because of injury. Um, so Faf de Klerk, he's gone. Malcolm Marks is back in the start, starting, which is great. And 19-year-old Kanan Moody, he's on the right wing for his test debut. So it's a nighttime test. Dewey, Probably more scrums they're talking about. Can can Australia win again this week? I think I think that'll be the big challenge as well. Like being able to for the Wallabies, irrespective of what Springbok team goes out there, their challenge is to put in another good performance and, and back it up because that's been the the struggle, you know, over the mm. last twelve to eighteen months. Um, and they have really got as long as you know those little injuries we just touched on. Then for the Wallabies, like we're still waiting for their team to be released. If they can name a relatively unchanged lineup, then they've got a huge advantage going to this week with so many changes for that box team as well. Hmm. And um, yeah, debutants out there on the wing, Damien Villenza slotting into ten, which it's not his natural position. Like he usually plays a little bit more at fifteen. So you know, there's going to be opportunities for that 
for that Wallabies team if, if they can go out there and take them. Um, you know, you hate to – you don't say it's a um, – it, well, you never see a weak looking um, Springbok forward pack and, and this pack is no different as well. Like you, you you lose two of your front rows, but you end up bringing in Stephen Kitsoff and Malcolm Marks. So. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. <laughs> and – and, you know, bringing in someone like Franco Mostert, who's such an experienced lock, but they're playing him at seven instead of Peter Steph to Toit. So they're going with size and and timber across the park then. But it will be interesting to see how these these Springbok backs can back up with a few guys who um who haven't, you know, haven't played as regularly. And Mitchie, like I'd love to hear like guys like Jesse Creel hasn't played as much. He's been in and out of form a little bit. Um, Damon Delendi as well, like the centre pairing. They've been yeah. a bit quieter. Yeah, Lindy was very quiet on the weekend. I do um, arm, arm. Look in your the, arm. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. The thirteen. He's, he's. I reckon he's a terrific player, but he's obviously he's not phenomenal been this week. Yeah, he's, he's been dropped. He's injured. He? He's injured. injured. Yeah, yeah. So he he had a really quiet game last weekend, but he was fantastic against the All Blacks. Hmm. So I, I think don't think you can write them off. They might just come out and play a little bit of a different game. Um, I think Faf probably overplayed his hand a little bit last weekend. Um in more ways than one. So I think I think that didn't help. And Pollard was just off. He was off. And Peter Stefter taught was terrible. Like that's yeah. the worst game of rugby I've ever seen that bloke play. It's just he was all over the shop. He's gone. So, He's gone too. Yeah. So a little bit of st- I don't know what it was, but it won't be the same Springbok side this weekend. Mm. Guaranteed. And then before we move on, so the, the the Wallabies bench and what's the theory behind it? So someone like um Tanela Tupo comes on with 15 minutes to go, what's the what's the thinking behind holding someone like that off for so long? Like, why not stick him in at half time or give him 30 minutes? Why why is he only getting 15? I, I think the question comes down if it's just unsettling what what the, the flow the team already has out there. You know, Alan Alatoa was doing a pretty pretty solid job there in the tight head, especially at set piece, like at scrum time. Um, you know, he's still, he's a super fit, tight head prop. He gets around, makes a lot of tackles, does a lot of work around the park. Obviously brings something different to what Taniela Tupo does as well. But I think they've obviously ID'd that they wanted him out there. And then just because he was doing an exceptional job, I guess, you know, you ride with him. But then, you know, the danger comes in. Do you wait until he gets too fatigued and then misses something? Like this is something Eddie Jones has always been big on. Like he's not afraid to just hook someone yeah. At the thirty-fifth minute or whenever, like as soon as as soon as they're getting up slow from a ruck or something like that, like they're gone. off. This is yep. you know you're gone. So, um, yeah, that's I guess that's the risk that um, that Rennie or head coaches around the world make. That's why that's why Rennie's on the big bucks. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, it's to do with the rhythm in the game, in my view, Mick. I mean, the coach has got to read how his team's performing, and if they're in a rhythm and he, they've got control of the game, then you shouldn't try and disrupt that rhythm. Because they don't be seem, hold, they don't seem that back, hold that back as long as you can. They don't seem to do it by rhythm because you see those guys, they get up at a certain time and they start warming up, knowing they're going on at yeah the sixty at, minute at, mark, at the sixty yeah. minute mark. Yeah, that's all yeah. seemed to be pre-planned. So it's just, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like I'd like to go back to fifteen players. If one gets injured, have a replacement. Get rid of all this finisher rubbish. It's ridiculous. Make them play for the full fifteen. That'd be yep. what I want to see. <laughs> Anyway, so we'll move on to local club rugby and back underway with the Fortescue Premiership semi-finals, UWA against Perth at the Library, and in the Stan Sport game, Heath Tessman's Nedlands up against West Scarborough at Bennett Relax. Park. So, Tess, who's gonna? Who will you be playing in the grand final? 
Oh, who will we be playing? Well, is this? I don't know if you're just trying to bait me here because I've been stirring you boys up a little bit earlier. What today. about the, with the soft underbelly of picking, university? Picking, <laughs> picking that it's going to be a, uh, it's going to be a Basie Nedlands final. Obviously, I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> Nedlands go through this weekend, and then the people's team, <laughs> the people's team of Basie. Um, I, I actually, I, I'm, I mean, I'm really excited. Obviously, for our game this weekend, um, it was a, it was a really close tussle. Uh, two weeks ago, we ended up losing, and I think it was about the 84th minute um, when, yeah, when West Garb scored a try. But it was a, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a really good fight out. But then, as well, this this UWA team, you've got the excitement and the uh, and the youth coming up against the kind of big, physical, tight pack that um, that Baysy have as well. So it's a bit of a yin and the yang battle. So I'm going to be just as excited to see who gets over the top in that game there as well. Have you got a tip? Have you got a tip test? Who who do you think who do you think will win? Or who do you oh, well, think will to, win? I have to go. I, I have to go. So someone's um, it's going to be a Netherlands Basie final. Yeah, that's what I'm so you've, that's so what you've, I'm tipping. Okay. So for all the UWA people that I've been stirring up constantly over the last few weeks, yourselves included. <laughs> all right, there's some many, more fuel. And if we make babies. it to the final against UWA, they can put a big photo of my head there in that dressing room and all the all little quotes around it. <laughs> scare, scare the kiddies away. And so Mitch, <laughs> Mitch, West West Nedies, it'll be a cracking game. Um, who's yep. your early money on? Well, you've got to go back to round nine where Nettie's pasted West 37-0. Yeah. All right, let's not forget about that. And even though Nettie's have lost five on the trot and you have to go back to mid-July before you look up their last win, which was against Rockingham. So some seven weeks ago was the last time they had a W in their column. So, you know, like you can't write them off. But West have been on a roll. I mean, they only just snuck in to that yeah. top six by the skin yeah. of their teeth against Wanneroo, and they haven't lost a game since. So they have all the momentum. Nettie's will be playing the underdog, like Heath is sort of playing up at the moment. But I tell you what, they're a star-studded lineup. that West team. They've got firepower right across the board, but they can be disrupted. They can have a bad day, and the way to beat them is up front and be physical with them and don't give them the space and don't let them play that unstructured stuff out wide. So big so, players for me this week is going to be the 10, Sheldon Tarawa. <laughs> he's he's yep. got to be absolutely on his money. He can't afford to miss kicks, and he's just got to drive his pack around the around the park. And obviously the uh, the Nettie's type five have got to have, to have a huge game. Yeah. So I'll just gonna, leave it at that. You're not going to pick – you're not going to pick – you know, are you going to pick to, your grand? Tell me your grand final. Who's going to be running out there on oh, the tenth? I think all grand finals should be a one-two because they're the two best teams of the year. But yep, to yep. spice it up, I wouldn't be surprised if the West Nettie's game goes into extra time this weekend. So I'm I'm picking and draw it full time. Yeah, and we're going into extra time. And. Yeah. Mate, anyone's game. Anyone's <laughs> game after that. Last man standing, Mick. And who will, who will they be playing? The people's oh, team or the students? Uh, oh, be, well, I don't, I don't want to give the students a kiss of death. But, <laughs> so I'm going to say Basie probably played their grand final a couple of weeks ago when they made their four. That yeah, was okay. a terrific performance by them against Soaps. And everyone, everyone's behind. Any, anyone who is not a UWA supporter is going to be going for Basie this weekend, yeah. let's face it. Yep. But I think at the, at the home ground, minor premiers, um, they're going to have a full-strength team um, I can't see them going down unless they completely stuff it up. 
All right. So we'll so we we'll, we will all okay. So we, we won't give them the kiss of death, but we're thinking they might they might be there. So that's <laughs> gonna be great. So two big games on the weekend and then the grand final of the tenth. Then Mitch, the shoot shield grand final. It's been the tightest competition in history. And yeah, uh it's been it all it all stems to this coming weekend between a team that you're quite familiar with. Yeah, it was terrific weekend of rugby, mate. The um just going back with the, the Sydney Uni Eastwood game, yeah, your boys, one Mickey, point. One, point. one point in it, and poor Tane Edmund, and I'm a big fan, we all, we're all a big fan of Tane Edmund here, had three opportunities to win it on the bell. Like he had a kick from the left, a kick from the right, and a, a literally, a te- I reckon Heath Tessman could have kicked the field goal to win it. It was 10 metres out right in front, and he oh. completely shanked it. Um, oh, no. Sydney, Uni, Sydney did everything to lose that game, and Eastwood just could not finish it off. It was... Um, there wasn't a lot of attacking rugby, but it was pretty brutal affair. And then, uh, yeah, on the Sunday, Gordon took on Norse, the old rival, and uh, Norse, the minor premiers. They never fired a shot, the poor old Norskis. So Gordon rolled over the top of them up front and just controlled the footy. And their, their 9, 10, 15 in particular, Reese McDonald at the back, he's a he's a terrific footballer. Their no, halfback, Harrison Goddard, uh, had an outstanding game, and just their whole pack, right up from one to eight, just completely just worked their asses off all day long. It was a really good fifteen man display, and um, they got the chocolates. So they, I think they've come from eighth spot, Mickey. Wow. Sudden death, and but they not only had to get there through sudden death in the finals, but they had to win a certain number of games out of the last six rounds. They had to win five of those six to get there. Yeah, okay. Um, wow. So, yeah, they had a really poor start to the year. But I think the students, you know, it could be an interesting one, but I think the students might just have the wood and they might just be a little bit too strong for Gordon because they've, they've thrown everything into getting there and I, my heart would love them to win, but my head says the uni boys will be too strong. So you're hoping that's the kiss of death. Yeah, for, he's, um, he's avoiding the kiss of yeah, death yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. He's very clever, that Mitch Hardy. And Tess, <laughs> up in Brisbane, the um, semis or the preliminaries, whatever you're calling it up in... Whatever they call it up in Brizzy, what have we got? Yeah, going so on I mean, there? I was yeah, I was right last week. It's only four well, teams right. through, four teams. Okay. so they only have the major minor. But um, yeah, so one, one and two play off this weekend, and um, and that's UQ playing West. A good old uh, Elvia Prinzu, who used to coach over here, coached with the Perth Spirit for some time. He's yep. he's in charge of West this year. They've been undefeated at home this year as well, taking on my boys, University of Queensland, um, and just as it happens, like UWA. West are at home as well for the this day of preliminary finals, so it's a it's a huge leg up for them. It was announced a few weeks ago, and it's just incidental that they've they managed to um have that day of finals at home. So huge advantage for them. Will be interesting as well to see how many they've had a few Melbourne Rebels guys coming in and out of their team. Guys like Jordan Uisi, Carter Gordon have been playing for them as well. So it'll be interesting to see how strong a lineup they have. I'm guessing. Vunavali won't be available for them this week, fortunately. <laughs> Though hopefully Jock Campbell will be and Tate McDermott for UQ. <laughs> the other game as well, um, Brothers and Jeeps. So Jeeps coming off a, a final round drubbing actually at the hands of UQ. They lost about 30 points at home as well. Wow. So they've kind of limped into a, into the final series just a, just a little bit. But um, And Brothers, you know, we, we spoke about them last week with, with James O'Connor, Harry Wilson both coming back in and and looking to really drive that team home to a final series. So it's going to be four big games of, of rugby this weekend. Winner of that one versus two gets the next week off. The loser gets a second chance. Okay, that's how it works. Three and four. Okay. Right, so that was the extra week. Got it. 
That's it. So that's uh, all happening this weekend. And so then that takes us to the mailbag. And the big news in the media this week, again, is talk of Rugby Australia opening up the war chest to target the NRL players. They've thrown out Matt Burden, Ryan Pappenhausen, Cameron Murray, Tom Trebojevic, and even Latrell Mitchell. They've all been named. But the big name being banded around is Joseph Sua Ali'i. Talk of a reported $10 million over five years. Is there a better way that the Rugby Australia could spend $10 million? Or do you reckon that they should target? I can't think. I can't think of one. <laughs> no, you... spend it all on spend it all on one player, mate. Or do you yeah. go all in. Should they target him? Should they chase him? No, it's just publicity, Mick. Like seriously, like they just got to stop that. It's just purely just ramping stuff up in the lead into a test match in Sydney. They've just opened a new football stadium. You got NRL finals just around the corner. Yeah, Suali is going to be a prominent. You know, play for the Roosters as they go through the finals. They're playing the Rabbitohs this Friday night. It's just a distraction in the media. Yeah. That's all it is. And you just go, oh, really? Are we all buying into this? No, don't care. It's not going to happen. And it, surely you don't spend millions of dollars on one player like that. How many times do they have to go wrong for them to learn? Yeah. <laughs> when the I rest know. of the game is crying out for to be advanced and progressed yeah. and supported. Yeah. It's funny because Peter Belandis is who's the, the boss of the rugby league's come out and say he won't go to rugby because he'd be bored. He said at the moment in rugby, the ball's in play for 33 minutes, whereas in rugby league, it's in play for 55 minutes. So it's um, there's plenty of talk going on. And NRL 360 put up a uh, thing, rugby's runaways, they called it, and they listed all these guys that are currently playing in the NRL that have gone through the private school system. And uh, they're just saying there's about oh, more than a dozen of them. And yeah, guys like, you know, Caelan Ponga and Pat yeah. Carrigan, Kurt Capewell, some good names out there. And they're just saying that the league is a better at talent ID and now rugby's just got to fork out millions of dollars to get them back. So it's basically the old school rugby league versus rugby union. Yeah, um, bit of banter. Again, pub talk. Yeah. Uh, in other news, uh, New Zealand lost to Argentina, 25-18. Just the oh. second time in their history. Uh, first time they've been beaten by Argentina on New Zealand Soil, but um, that was a good win by Argentina. That was gutsy. Oh, they were terrific, and they just threw everything at the blacks, didn't they? Just they took the lesson that South African gave them and said, "We got to be physical. We got to bash them. We got to be fast. And when we get the ball, we got to play at 100 miles a minute, and we just got to be relentless." Hmm. Um, and there was just oh, it was just an amazing performance by Argentina, and it you know their their win over the Wallabies. Now they've beaten the All Blacks. Are they the smoky favourites to win this year's rugby championship? Well, they're on top at the moment, aren't they? Are they on top? Yeah, I think it's Argentina then Australia. Yep. Yeah, and well, they've got they got so they got this team uh, game against the All Blacks, and they got two home test matches against South Africa. Jeez. So I'm calling it now, Mick. You reckon that Argy's <laughs> take it out? <laughs> the rugby championship champions for 2022 is Argentina. Argentina. You heard it here. <laughs> <laughs> But they were very impressive, Tess. I don't know if you saw the emotion. Like, that meant a lot to them, that win on the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think at the same time, you've, you've, there's really been a bit of a blueprint shown for how to beat to beat the All Blacks. Like, the Springboks in that very first test, it was just all physical, all in high intensity, high physicality, continually getting up in their face. And then that Argentinian game as well, it was just the exact same thing. Like, it wasn't pretty attacking rugby they just kept building scoreboard pressure but everything they did on the defensive side and um you know there's been a lot of talk for david kidwell their defensive coach there for the pumas 
um, and deservedly so. Like that's those are mm. some of the most physical defensive games I've seen them produce or any rugby team produce, especially that one on the weekend against the All Blacks. Like any All Black that re- trucked it up, like they were getting manhandled. They were getting yeah. monstered by by two blokes every time. And even if it was one on one, like the way those Argentinians were flying into the collision, like they were they were hell bent on getting that victory. Um, so it's gonna it's gonna really set it up because the thing is that you know that it's all passion and, and bluster and huff and mm. puff. It's awesome, but it's it's always hard to sustain. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they can back it up this weekend. And um, hey, going for those those two victories to, to nullify poor Ireland, they've come off just being the first team yeah. to do it in however many years. The yeah, next people that visit them, the next people that visit them could be yeah, the, special. do the same thing. So. Nothing special at all. And yeah. uh, poor Ian Foster, I don't think he'd be getting much sleep. Um, I'm sure he has the full support of the board. The board, yeah. He wouldn't, yeah, he wouldn't be able to go up and buy a litre of milk, would he? No, over there. <laughs> no, like, not at all. God, poor he'd be getting Uber, Uber Eats every day. Yeah. He'd be wanting to switch over to coach the Black Ferns, who defeated uh, Australia or the Wallaroos 22 to 14. That was their 22nd win over Australia in a row. Uh, but for the women, much better than the 52 to 5 drubbing they got in that. First test, um, got out to a 7 year lead early. They did play well. Uh, Emily Chance, the flanker, was great. Grace Hamilton, who got recalled to number eight, she was fantastic. And uh, the young winger, Bien Tarita, she scored two tries on debut, a bit like you, Mitch Hardy, and announced herself as a star of the future. Former sevens player, missed out on the Commonwealth game, so switched across to 15 to try and make the World Cup. And I think she might have uh, probably done herself, or certainly didn't do herself any harm on the Good weekend. stuff. Great stuff. And I know you thoroughly enjoyed that. that I did go out and have a look at yeah, that. I, I did. I, I, was, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed it a lot. I just needed a little bit more sleep before I got to the game. <laughs> After a big night, because you were only just getting home as I was heading into the ground. And then <laughs> that, that was their last hit out for the Wallaroos before the October Rugby World Cup in New Zealand. And they have been drawn to meet New Zealand in the first round. So uh, that'll be uh, plenty of work for the women to do. But yeah, a great result. Much, or not a great result, but a much better effort than the week before. And in more good news, the Australian men's sevens have won the HSBC World Rugby Sevens Series title in the final round uh, over in LA. So it's the first time the Australian men's team has ever won it. And uh, we now hold the men's and the women. So sevens certainly on fire at the moment. Yeah, the men are the men are on fire. I mean, like, with all due respect, they the Kiwis didn't play in a lot of those sevens tournaments, but um, you still got to win them, and you take them when you get them, and there's another trophy in the cabinet, and mm. um, big turnaround. Like, swap the coaches over, start winning. Yeah. What about yeah. that? And then you know, you add that to the Commonwealth Games uh, gold medal that the ladies got was um, the sevens is going really well, and there's there's some blokes in that sevens team at the moment that. Are really turning heads. You know, Corey O'Toole's one of them. Um, that he's just got absolute wheels, and he just runs like the wind. But he's got mm. a bit of oomph about him as well. So um, yeah, it's terrific news for Australian rugby. Let's hope we back it up with a few more Wallaby wins. And it's great to see the Wallaroos turning their forms around as well. Yeah, and, the gap. and again, we, we've spoken before, Mitch, about getting some of those sevens players into that fifteens and. Some of the skills on the weekend, I think, let Australia down. And I just think, yeah, if we could find out some way of getting some of those sevens players into that team, it would make yeah. a world of difference. But um, obviously yeah. not happening. Then some news announced this week. The Western Force have announced Will Eggleston as the new defence coach for the next two years. Uh, he's come across from Japan, from, from Toyota, where he was the assistant coach 
since 2019. So he worked under Steve Hansen and also head coach Simon Cron. So Cron slowly pulling his team together. I don't know too much about him, but um, obviously a pretty handy guy to have on board. Test, do you know anything about him? Yeah. Oh no, I don't know much about him either. But um, yeah, obviously, you know, we've had we've had Simon on here, and he's got a very clear vision for how he wants his his team to be playing and, and functioning. And obviously, half of that, or you know, a good chunk of that, is how they defend as well. So he's obviously seen, um, seen was Eggleston and, um, and he's been impressed with what he was doing over in Japan. So he, mm. he wants to bring some of that in here and it's, yeah, it's exciting to, uh, you know, have someone or another new coach. In. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a few there. Then it's Thrushy get a gig. Did I read something? It's Thrushy got a gig. Thrushy, he's got the academy. He's, the academy. he's worked in the academy and, uh, yeah. obviously nice. helping, helping out at West. So he'll be out there. Yeah. And it's great. It's great that he's, Hanging around to um, I'm obviously a guy with his knowledge to keep him in Western Australian rugby. He's just fantastic. So it's great that they've they've found a role for him, and great that that's what he wants to do. And then finally, we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago. Just the situation for the Worcester Warriors. Uh, the news this week the, um, that the elite email from the club's owners told staff that their owners were unable to pay their staff because HMRC has frozen the account, so players and staff won't be getting getting their August pay packets. So it's uh, not a great situation over there in Worcester. And um, look, hopefully someone can bail them out, but it's not looking great at the moment, which would be a real shame. Yeah, there's some talented players hoping, yeah. you know, floating around that club there. That you can imagine those guys all being dispersed to other clubs. But yeah, it's just, it's um, it's not a, a an uncommon occurrence for teams to start going belly up. Mm. Um, in the UK, it just seems to happen more often than not, and then they sort of die off and then come back. So yeah, it's it's yeah. obviously the the Worcester team in itself has have had a journey back into playing Premier Rugby, and now it's all gone to custard. All gone to custard. So let's hope yeah something can get sorted out because no one ever likes to see that sort of stuff happening. But look, that'll that'll do us. It was a short and sharp one tonight. So Mitch, I'll see you on Saturday out at the Pig Pen. Yeah, looking forward to it. We'll have to see what the conditions are like. The no, I don't know if we're going to be on the number one oval or not. There's a bit of conjecture around maybe we're going to have to play on the number two because number one's a bit muddy and Heath needs a dry pitch apparently so, yeah, so he can like, play at his like best. So I think he's talked to the local council about moving it to the number two where there's a bit more grass uh, and there's you know that, that'll be a nice, Mick. It'll be hopefully good conditions for rugby and both games should be an absolute cracker. Looking forward to it immensely. And Heath Tessman, we look forward to seeing you out at the pig pen in action. So good luck. Good luck to you and the team. Out of the pig pen covered in mud, hey? Mm. You starting this you starting, Tess? You work your way back. Oh, to the I don't, want to, don't want to give anything away. No, give nothing no, yeah, away. Oh, the <laughs> tricks. The tricks, yeah. the Nettie's tricks. <laughs> the tricks. Who knows who they roll out? Hey, and so Tess, do you know what, what time your kickoff is? Is it 3 30 as normal? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds that sounds pretty accurate. That is all right. I and mean, you say the other one was same four time. O'clock, four o'clock down at UWA because there's, uh, I think there's nine games of rugby on down there. Okay. Across three three fields, so there's a big right. afternoon big rugby because all the finals and what have you. Yeah. Um, I think over at West, I think Nettie's ones, twos, and threes are all going out and about um, on the weekend. I think Southern Lions might be in one of the semi-finals and reserve. Grade, which is good to see. Yep. Um, which is terrific. So it's going to be um, some good rugby right across the board. So 3 30 out of the pig pen and four o'clock down at the library. So plenty of rugby on the weekend. See so yes, Good luck to all those players involved, especially to you, Pete Tessman. So that will do us. Thank you to everyone for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on the rugby round.